0: Hello, and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Bletherings, our little podcast where we shine a light on the curious, shadowy, and often very magical history of the Scottish Borderlands. I'm joined, as ever, by Mary Craig. How are you today? Mary? I'm
1: very well, thank you, Doug. How are you?
0: Um, yeah, thanks for asking, I would say. I'm confused at okay. the moment. <laughs> But very glad to have the opportunity to sit there and have a wee blether about history, Mm -hmm. albeit local, and to some extent language, um, Mm -hmm. history and language, two topics that I feel have been taking a bit of a battering in recent days.
1: Ah, yes.
0: But I shall leave it at that. Okay. (laughs) I shall start with this. And did those feet... In ancient time, Mary. (laughs) (laughs) I shall stop at that point. Good. Because today I thought we would have a good blether about the sites of pilgrimage in the Scottish borders. It's an interesting topic for me because when we left Brussels and moved here, Cassie was a little puppy. Uh-huh. And I we would wander around finding more and more interesting walks to take her. Right. And it pretty soon dawned on me that we have a plethora of of um sites of pilgrimage in the Borders area. And for the first two years of our time after we left Brussels, Miri and I, or should I say Miriam, ran a B and B bed and breakfast in Melrose. Many of our guests were from Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. And they would be pilgrims. Right. I can often remember guys with thick wooden crosses hanging yeah, around yeah, their yeah. necks, yeah. and they were doing uh, a pilgrimage uh, on the Borders Abbey or St. Cuthbert's Way or something mm-hmm. like that. But I've spoken too much. Before we get into the local sites of pilgrimage in the Borders area, let's make an attempt at defining what a Pilgrimage was, <laughs> and now is. In my in my mind, early Christians would have used the pilgrimage as a, a form of penitence for, for for their no doubt sins. <laughs> yes,
1: no, <laughs> yes, it's it's an odd one. Pilgrimage started because uh, this is going to sound a little bit odd. Tourism. <laughs>
0: Ah. (laughs) Christian Christian geography,
1: when the the church was first establishing itself, so we're talking 5th, 6th, 7th century, very early on, people knew where Christ and his disciples had been. Mm -hmm. And so they could go to the actual site. They could go to Calvary. They could go to Bethlehem. They could go to these places, you see. And then as the disciples had moved out into, into Europe, they could go to these different places. And initially it was... Partly curiosity, partly a case of, uh, is this a holy site? What's going to happen if I go to visit these mm-hmm. places? And so the big sites became Jerusalem and Rome and Santiago de Compostela in Spain, because that's where St. James had gone. And so people started to go there because it was thought that, now God's grace is absolute, okay? There's, there's no question about that. But if I can go to somewhere where... Christ has been, perhaps there I can touch God's grace or perhaps if I can go to Rome where St. Peter was. So initially it was a sort of form of religious tourism. You were going to go and and touch these sacred places. So so pilgrimage starts to these sorts of sites and then it becomes places where saints had been martyred. So um, St. Sebastian or Mm St. Andrew or St. Catherine or any of these. And that's why you would go. You weren't going as a form of penance. You were going as a form of getting as close to God as you possibly could to touch the same ground that one of the early disciples or one of the early saints had, had trod. But then as things go on and as things change and the Catholic Church becomes more established, and we are talking about the Catholic Church here, not the Orthodox Church. Mm. They've got a whole other system of pilgrimage here. It's the Catholic Church. They started to see that everybody had to do a pilgrimage once in their life. Yes. You had yeah. to do it and you had to go to one of the big three. And this was partly for you to prove your Christianity and partly for the church to make you money, uh-huh. because it's an expensive thing to go on a pilgrimage. lots go. of money to be made. Lots and lots of money to be made. And Cassie's decided to come in and do a pilgrimage up to the couch, if she can make it.
0: Although no, she's, she's a little a bit hesitant.
1: Yeah, she's just lying there. <laughs> You're a hopeless pilgrim, Cassie. Come on, you've got to put a bit of effort in. She's absolutely not putting any effort in at all. So... um the church decided that you had to do this once in your life and the idea grew up that this was an act of penance and your sins would be forgiven you. Yeah. And so that's what you would do and that's why you would go. And initially, as I say, it was the big three and then if you couldn't manage to go to the big three for any particular reason, perhaps of ill health or perhaps it was too much money or perhaps you couldn't take time away from your family, you would go to more local shrines. But it was supposed to be an arduous journey. You were supposed to suffer. It wasn't supposed to be like a nice cruise and then you go to the Med, mm-hmm. oh, I've out yeah, Jerusalem, yeah. it's lovely enough. buy some tourism stuff, uh, although people did. It was supposed to be hard work. There are people who did pilgrimages barefoot or you would do the last hundred yards on your knees or you would hang a heavy cross around your neck. Mm. Um And it was dangerous going on a pilgrimage. You might get robbed, you might get attacked, you might get beaten up, Um There were, if you like, there were early package tours. Um, So if you got yourself to Venice, the merchants in Venice and the uh, sultanate, the Malamute sultanate, they ran tours to the Holy Land and you paid a lot of money to go to the Holy Land, but it gave you protection. But you had to pay a lot of money to go there. And so that was only for the very rich, obviously. Um, So if you didn't have that sort of money and you couldn't spend that much time away, that's when you would go to a local shrine. Uh, to do your local penance and you would go to somewhere that, that was familiar to you. Um, sometimes you were sent on pilgrimage as a prison sentence. If you've done something. Oh, right. Yeah. If you've done something, if you're in Edinburgh and you do something very bad, they might say, right, you're going to have to go to Jerusalem. That's it. It's either that or prison. So you go to Jerusalem. Or if you've done something that's not too bad, they say, okay, you have to go to Spain. Uh, or if you've not done something not too bad at all, they might just send you down to the borders. So pilgrimage has got lots of different levels. It can be tourism. It can be avoiding a prison sentence. It can be a holiday. But it was very much a religious experience. It was a sensory experience. It was you were actually experiencing God's grace. So it was a massive, massive thing to do, even if you only did it once in your life.
0: You were following in the footsteps.
1: Literally following in the footsteps where you could.
0: Penance as a money-making scheme, though, that's...
1: Well, it certainly was a money-making speed for the church because you had to pay money to get to Venice. Then you had to pay the merchants for your your trip across the Holy Land. And then you had to pay the the sultanate in the Holy Land um, to show you the sights. You had to pay to get into the the Holy Sepulchre. You had to pay to get back out the Holy Sepulchre. (laughs) It was a really cheeky one. That's good. (laughs) You had to pay to get your pilgrim's badge because sometimes if you've been sent there um, or if you're going on somebody else's behalf, you're wanting to buy a souvenir to prove that you did that. You've got to pay for food, you've got to pay for lodgings, you've got to pay for clothing, you've got to pay protection money if you stray off the path. Um, You've got to pay for somebody to take care of your wife and your kids whom you've left for, could be up to a year to do your travels. You've got to pay for somebody to look after your animals if you're a Mm. farmer. It's an expensive business and most of the money went to the church. The church made a lot of money out of pilgrims, yeah.
0: Now you thanks you know that I lived in Turkey for many years, lived and worked in Turkey, mm-hmm. and for about two of these those years, I was down in southern Turkey near the Syrian border.
1: Yeah,
0: and I perhaps know more about the Hajj than I do about the pilgrimages <laughs> well, you're talking you about, yep. uh-huh. uh, because I lived among Muslims, mm-hmm. and that pilgrimage to the Kaaba, the house the house of God. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them would aim to undertake that pilgrimage three times in their lives. Okay. And what was very odd for me was that if one studied a man's beard and moustache combo, uh-huh. you could pick up how often they had actually undertaken the Hajj. Uh-huh. This was all local knowledge I picked right. up, but uh-huh. but that 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 was really really interesting. So, mm-hmm. given. I don't know the figures, two and a half, three, three and a half million people do this every year mm-hmm. to, to Mecca. I would think that makes it one of the big four. <laughs>
1: you can say so, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. It's perhaps
0: that I'm more familiar with yeah. that, having spoken to people who've, yeah. who've been on, on mm-hmm. the pilgrimage. Yeah,
1: And of course, those from the <clears throat> Orthodox Church, they're not going to Rome, they're going to Constantinople. Yep. Yeah. Because yep. the patriarch is in Constantinople, Correct. as opposed to yeah. the Pope in Rome, so yeah. so you've got you've got a real mixture. Of the, the Holy Land, uh, as we know, a uh, great place, but um, you know, three big religions in there, three four big religions in there, all, all fighting over their own holy sites. It's it's an interesting place, the Holy Land. So very it's, interesting, it, and it had, I mean, there were people who made a living just off the pilgrims mm-hmm. because you would have lodgings for you know, obviously the, the, the early Christian religions before Islam comes into the picture, but people had lodgings specifically for pilgrims. And, and you could actually buy a sort of bronze, silver, or gold type uh, stay in your B&B. Maybe you should have done this in your bed and breakfast. <laughs> and depending on how much money you paid, depended on how scratchy your blankets were, but actually the more money you paid... The more discomfort you paid for, yes, because yes. it meant you were holier. You were actually suffering on your pilgrimage, so you yeah. would pitch up and you would pay a bit more money, and you would get the small bed, the narrow bed, the bed with the most bed bugs. I don't know what it would be, and um, but a lot of people made a lot of money <laughs> out of these pilgrims uh, who who were doing this. Oh yeah,
0: I have I have run training courses in uh, monasteries and nunneries in Germany. Yes. And as, as a group leader, I've had mm-hmm. the hairiest blanket. Well, there you go, you are <laughs> supposed
1: to suffer. It's supposed to be
0: hard work. It is not indeed. Not Before we move on to, and I know we talk about the Scottish borderlines, but before we do that, from a linguistic point of view, something that also worries me from my time spent in southern Turkey, and I believe it would have been George Bush the elder or the father of George W. Mm-hmm. This is a man who was wont to use the word crusade oh, yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it might be worth talking about the difference between a pilgrimage and a crusade. Well, was cause... a crusade just a pilgrimage with weapons? Uh, well, <laughs> I think we're
1: going to have to do a podcast about the crusades. Uh-huh. I'm suggesting we do that for our next one. Okay. But, so, because a pilgrimage is a penance, you are walking and you are suffering and you are thinking of God's grace. And when you get to the end, you say your prayers and your sins are forgiven you. Mm -hmm. If you are a Christian knight and you go to the Holy Land and you rescue the Holy Land from these big, bad Muslims, um, that's a good thing, you see. Uh, So, So war
0: becomes a tool of God.
1: Exactly. (laughs) It is muscular Christianity. Uh Muscular Christianity, yes. Muscular Christianity, as we had in the 19th century. (laughs) And so because you are smiting the enemies of God, that in and of itself is thought of as a pilgrimage. That is why the Crusaders had the cross on their Mm. dress. That is why they, they had the cross on their swords and their shields, was because they were doing penance by killing. Because it's not nice... To walk to Jerusalem barefoot, that is not a nice thing to do. It's not a nice thing to chop somebody's head off with your sword. Even if you're a trained soldier, that is not a nice thing to do. So you're doing something that is not nice, but for the greater good. And if you go to the Holy Land and you rescue the Holy Land from these infidels, then your sins are forgiven you. So yes, crusades is is pilgrimage with weapons, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. and... We'll start off with the first crusade, and we, we can discuss this in a later podcast. It gets progressively worse yeah. as the crusades mm. went on.
0: This slaughter becomes, I suppose, increasingly easier if God is on your side.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, God's for everyone. Whoever's having a war, God is on their side. I mean, the Germans yeah. during the, the, the Second World War. did god, god meant almost, you know, Every side always thinks God's on their side.
0: Okay, well, far be it from us to start planning next podcast (laughs) during this podcast.
1: Yeah, but there's a lot to discuss there, so maybe another podcast. On air,
0: can I agree with you and say we think about and maybe look at that in more detail for our next podcast. Yeah. yeah. Okay, top speed to the borderlands.
1: To the borderlands. I
0: started by saying a lot of pilgrims still visiting today. Mm -hmm. Many sites of pilgrimage in the Scottish Mm -hmm. borders. I'm aware of them, but tell us a little bit more. What is number one?
1: Um, Interestingly, it depends on your definition of number one. But let's discuss Stow, which is the closest one to us now.
0: Less than a mile from this house?
1: Yep. Uh-huh. Stow has the well of St Mary, which is a pre-Christian sacred well. It was used by pagans for sacred offerings. Then, round about the middle of the 9th century, the monk Nennius starts to write about this, and he says that King Arthur... Yes, we've got Arthurian legends.
0: Oh, I've it to.
1: King Arthur was fighting the Battle of Gwinnon, and he prayed the night before the battle, and a vision of the Virgin comes down and says, if you will be my Christian champion, I will give you victory. Mm. Arthur fights the battle with an image of the Virgin and the child on his <sighs> sword, and he is successful. And he builds a chapel in Mary's honour right next to that sacred well. Now, the well's still there. Sadly, the chapel is no longer there. But, as I say, Nennius was writing in the middle of the ninth century about what had happened, he says, about two, or 300 years before.
0: Before that, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: But the well was known as a sacred site. Park that to the side for one minute. Stow's church had the right of sanctuary, and it had... Mm a massive rite of sanctuary whereby you can run in, put your hand on the altar and say sanctuary from whoever's chasing you and you've got 40 days to prove your innocence or whatever. If you add those two together, it makes the Valley of Stow of Weedale incredibly sacred from an ancient age. Now, the Christian church is really good at pinching things. So what it does is Christianity pitches up, looks at this sacred pagan well and says, oh, that's a sacred site. It's been a sacred site for years. The pagans just didn't know it. It's part of Christianity, silly pagans. This is a site for St. Mary. And so it becomes this great site. Now, originally, Stowe Weedale was in the Diocese of Lindisfarne. And it's mentioned, the fact ah, that right. this was this great valley of sanctuary and mm. valley of sacredness and valley of holiness. Then, in the middle of the ninth century, that makes sense. the Vikings pitch up, frightening the bejesus out of everybody, sack Lindisfarne. The monks pick themselves up and run to Durham which is under the Diocese of the Bishop of York, who goes, oh, goody, I've got stout. I've got that really, really sacred site up there. The Bishop of St Andrews says, no, you don't, it's mine. And they squabble over this for several hundred years until Pope Innocent III says, yeah, it's actually, it's Scottish, it's in Saint You're Andrew.
0: buying into my view of the Scottish borders being a little country between England and Absolutely, Scotland here. Absolutely, <laughs> every
1: time, you see. So, although stout is tiny absolutely tiny compared to the other sites, it predates the border abbeys because the border abbeys are set up by, you know, David I. Yes, yeah. But the the, the well in Stow predates Christianity. Yeah. It's been hanging about for 3,000 years. And so it's this ancient, ancient site of holiness and was a site of great pilgrimage. So you would go there to have penance. And I mean the list of people who went to the well at Stout is unbelievable. So you've got David the First, you've got David the Second, Alexander the II, Second, Alexander the Third, Um James the Fifth, Margaret, the number of kings, and this kings that came here <laughs> to get a blessing from this oh, side. Right. This is the reason why David the Second had his wedding feast here. Now so Robert the Bruce is dying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Goes down to Berwick Tweed. He knows he's dying. He knows the English is a Orion up the throne. So he marries his son to Princess Joan yeah. of In- of, yeah. of England, right? That's the most nor- southerly city. It's on the border. It's northern. It's southern. What is it? Where is it? But he's showing the English that the Scottish crown is absolutely secure. Go away. Leave us alone. Mm-hmm. He then comes up to Stow. He bypasses all of the border abbeys he chooses Stowe beside the oldest sacred site for the wedding feast and the wedding feast. And the reason we know about this is the bill for the wedding feast is in the Exchequer rolls in the National Records of Scotland. Wow. That's why we know all this. So that's why, although it's a tiny little site and you drive past it in the A7, blink, and you're through it in it, it is the oldest site. So that's where you would go as a pilgrim. And if you're not going there, you're going to the abbeys. You're doing St Cuthbert's Way. Yeah. Because... The Borders is an early site of Christianity. It is; It has had Christianity for longer than the Highlands and Islands because they were still doing their own thing for a long, long time after that. So that's where you go. But also, if you're in the Borders and you're a a farmer, you've got a bit of money and all the rest of it, and you need to do your pilgrimage because it's your Christian duty, can you really afford the time and the money? Have you got the inclination to go all the way to Jerusalem? is just along the road a little bit. Mm. So you go to Stow. Now it's still a religious experience. You still maybe do the last little bit on your knees, but it's local.
0: Yeah.
1: And actually the fact that it's local gives it a greater resonance because you know that the Virgin came down in King Arthur's vision. You know that the virgin came to you. You didn't go to her. She had come to you. You yeah, little that's bit true. of Scotland. Yeah. Yeah has God's grace in it. And so you do your penance there and your sins are forgiven you when you go on that pilgrimage, whether it's to Stowe or to Melrose Abbey or Jedburgh Abbey or any of the big abbeys. But again, you see, the big abbeys, they want you to pay. You want to go to Melrose Abbey, you can go, but you're going to have to pay the abbot money to go in there and do your pilgrimage site there. Or if you're going on St Cuthbert's Way, again, you're having to pay lodgings and pay for a horse if you're very posh or, you know, walking all yeah, of these yeah. sorts, of, sorts of things so stow becomes it's got the ancient holiness it's got the fact that the Virgin Mary came here and it's got, it's a slightly cheaper site to go to and that's why it has a great flourishing of pilgrimage there is a a, a prayer that is said and it's sort of Mary, Lamb of God um, Mother of God Mary of Weedale Bless us sinners, and this is—you know—these are the ah. sorts of prayers being written by Dominican priests who come here, Dominican friars who come here. So it's—it's it's a real site of ancient pilgrimage.
0: Now, t- talking of getting to the well, which is about five minutes from where I live. Yeah. <laughs> Cassie won't go there. It's too muddy.
1: Yeah, it's not an easy site to <laughs> get. to. It's not easy to get to, now. and it's not supposed to be easy.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you're supposed so that, to get muddy and and you know scratch that links the back to the
0: to the suffering involved.
1: In, yeah, you're in, supposed you're supposed that. to suffer. I mean, we had pilgrimage. There was a pilgrimage to Stow to the Well in the year two thousand, uh-huh. um, and I know there were a few after that. And people came, I mean, they came in buses from various places, but then they stopped off, and I watched them take their shoes off and walk barefoot mm-hmm. to the well because it is this, this great sacred site. Do you because hear it that, has Cassie? This ancient old holiness.
0: <laughs> Princess Cassie.
1: Indeed, she's completely unimpressed by this and is going yep. to sleep. So, so much for pilgrimage being exciting.
0: Um, you perhaps need to correct me. When I moved here, I understood. And they call that well, Our Lady's well. Am I yes. am I wrong in doing that?
1: No, no, no. No, it was known as Our Lady's well. It was known as Mary's well. Okay. Um, I mean, what you have is you have, you have the trinity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Mm. And one of the problems that the early medieval church had was that the pagans had multiple deities. Christianity pitches up and says there's one God, there's one. Yeah. but he's actually in three, and the pagans could not understand this. Yeah. They then had to go over the fact that pagan beliefs had female deities. And so the Christian church says, well, you can have Mary. And, of course, Mary's a virgin, so mm. that's godlike. And then they decided that her mother, Anne, had also had Mary as a virgin. And then her grandmother, Jessie. Uh-huh. So you had a trinity of females there. And you'll notice there are a lot of places in Scotland, and in Stowe included, where you will have somewhere called Mary. We have Mary's field. Anne, we have Anne's yeah. And Jessie, we have Jessie's field. Uh, Liverpool, Anfield. Anfield. You know, places like that, all over the place. You will get that trinity of the male and trinity of the female. As the church becomes more established in the later medieval period, they drop that off because, well, they're sort of women, you know, so we drop that bit. We keep the Virgin Mary, but that's yeah. about all.
0: That's a very Dan Brown argument. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 we just drop that,
1: thank you very much. Uh, and of course, the Reformation just says we're not having this at all. It's, exactly. Yeah. You know, but yeah, so that's why you have. So, yes, the Ladiesfield Field or Mary's Field or Mary's Well, these different names are acceptable, yeah. At its peak,
0: Uh, any idea how many people would have made that pilgrimage to Our Lady's Well?
1: Do we have records? Do you have
0: records in the archive?
1: We don't have records here. Um, There are some church records that talk about there being um, a good number of pilgrims this year. That sort of vague figure. Uh It's very difficult. I mean, we're talking about the height of the medieval period. We're talking about a population of Scotland of about a million. Mm. Probably about... Maybe half a million people actually bothered to go on a pilgrimage of them maybe ten thousand would be going oh, wow. on pilgrimages right. in the right. borders, right. so you would get maybe i mean the the population of stowe was probably sitting at about eight hundred at that time mm. and you'd get twice that number coming yeah, yeah. on a pilgrimage uh, right. i
0: mentioned <laughs> I mentioned Dan Brown earlier facetiously i am sorry dan
1: it's okay
0: um <laughs> When I was a student in Edinburgh, I could take myself off to the gardens around Rosslyn Chapel Mm -hmm. and pretty much sit there on my own with my economic history book, Mm -hmm. smoke a cigarette and and be undisturbed by anybody. I'm going back to tourism and pilgrimage. (laughs) After the Da Vinci Code came out, that just became impossible.
1: (laughs) Indeed, yes. Do
0: you include Rosslyn Chapel as a site of pilgrimage?
1: Yes, but for a very different reason.
0: Yeah, that's what yes. I'm interested in.
1: Um, Roslyn Chapel was a site of pilgrimage because of the legends around the Holy Grail. Yeah. And the Knights Templar, who started off helping... Uh, this is a confused story. So they start off being the Knights Templar. They're or knights. Yeah. And they are helping the knights that go on crusade and they help pilgrims. And then they started to be a little bit more... Aggressive, shall we put it like that? Yeah. And then they started to be extremely aggressive, and fell out spectacularly with the uh, with the Catholic Church. Yeah. But they claim to have had acquired, shall we put it like that, the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, yeah. Which they then hid somewhere in Europe. Uh, And they left signs for their followers to know where they were. And one of the sites is Rosalind Chapel. Mm. There are numerous sites as to where the Holy Grail is supposed to be, but that is one of the ones. And so those who follow the Holy Grail story, which is the fact that Jesus had a baby via Mary and the bloodline continues. The Rose line, yeah, yeah. Uh, So that's a different type of pilgrimage and that's actually still very strong. It got a real boost with Dan Brown. Yeah. But the, the people who follow the Knights Templar and, and the story of the Holy Blood, the Holy Grail, there's a whole, um, I, I don't like the word industry, but there's a, there's a whole sort of, I can't, I think, you're I can't right. think of another word around it, but industry right. yeah. of people who go on pilgrimages to try and find this or... Even if they're not genuinely trying to find the Holy Grail or the child, the mystery of it, the romance of it, uh, has captured the imagination.
0: Yeah. I I used to take visiting students to Rosslyn Chapel now and again, and I got to know one guide there who I found very entertaining. Yeah. And he he told the story of a father and son combo who had built an ancient instrument, interpreted the various carvings within the chapel mm. notated them to music played it <laughs> these notes they'd notated uh, on this ancient instrument uh-huh. in the belief that the Holy Grail would, would, would be found yeah
1: you see, to which he I would add, the CD
0: is available in the in the gift shop.
1: Fantastic! You see, I had visions of them going <laughs> do 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 yeah. like <laughs> close encounters of the same close time. encounters. Something yeah. would happen. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. Oh yeah, oh I'm up for that. That's uh, great fun. Yeah, It's
0: wonderful. It's yeah, hokum but, but wonderful. Yeah,
1: but I mean, pilgrimage meant different things to different people. Yeah, so. I yeah. mean, there were people who went on pilgrimage because, to be honest, it was it was a holiday. You know, if, you, if you're if you an unfree peasant and you go to your lord and master and say, well, you know, I, I want to go on a pilgrimage. And the lord and master thinks, oh, I don't really, really want to let Doug go, but actually Doug could go on my behalf. Mm-hmm. So the lord and master gets some sort of image made of himself and you have to carry it to the Holy Land. Yep. And he gives you the money to go. So basically you're getting a paid holiday to go to Jerusalem and you get to see some girls and see some sights and drink some beer and drink some wine and have a good time. And all you mm-hmm. have to do is, you know, Turn up at Jerusalem, yeah, yeah, buy yeah, whatever bit yeah. of tat your Lord and Master wants you to buy to prove that you've been there, and we'll talk about forgeries in a minute, and then come all the way back. You're away from your work for a year. Yeah. All expenses paid. And there are people who took the money and, shall we say, didn't quite make it all the way to Jerusalem, yeah. or some of them made it all the way to Spain and didn't quite go to the shrine, but realised that they could buy a counterfeit uh Pilgrim's badge and pilgrim's token to bring back, mm. and they had a whale of a time of it. There weren't many, but there were a few that took advantage and just thought, "Oh, to hang with this you know. Because once you're away, nobody knows what you're doing. And I mean, you know, the Canterbury Tales is the Canterbury Tales for a reason. You know, the wife of Bath was having a good time on oh, pilgrims. Oh, now yeah. you
0: remind me of high school. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know. But interestingly, talking about pilgrims' Badges at Stow. A scallop shell was found in Stowe, which is the uh, pilgrim's badge from Santiago de Compostela. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting that that was found there. Whether or not it was an old, old one from way back, or it just happened to be there, or Mm -hmm. someone placed it there, or it was there by sheer accident, we don't know. But it is interesting that that one was found. Ah,
0: but that's the mystery. Exactly, and that's 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 the the romance and the and yeah. Yeah. Was it Nietzsche who talked about what we don't know that kills us, but in a sense, often what we don't really know. Don't wish to talk about the Loch Ness Monster. But Nessie's real for
1: Nessie, all of our listeners. Yeah. Nessie is absolutely real. Don't let Doug tell you otherwise. It's
0: a giant eel. <laughs> what we don't know is also vital to our understanding,
1: yes, I think.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned other sites of pilgrimage. You mentioned Lindisfarne.
1: Lindisfarne indeed, yes.
0: So, we've spent a lot of time talking about Our Lady's Well here in Stow mm. and we'll put some information on the website, I'm sure. Yeah. What other pilgrimages are very popular to this day here in the Borders region?
1: Well, again St Cuthbert's Way, walking St Cuthbert's Way. So again you're doing it's going back to the the origins <laughs> of it. You're walking on the same roads that St Cuthbert walked. Yep. You're seeing the same sights, you're smelling the same smells. And because the borders is still a very rural area, mm. there is not much... It's not as if you're in the middle of Sucky Hall Street in Glasgow okay. trying to imagine mm. what that was like in medieval times. You're going to yep. have to have yep. one heck of an imagination to do that. Yep. If you're standing in St Cuthbert's Way in the Scottish borders, in the hills surrounding you with the fields, with the same the same rivers, but you can have a religious experience you can have a spiritual experience on that walk and there are a lot of people do that walk and they will you know it's not it's not a route march you're not doing it a certain amount of time you're just walking and communing with god in that walk so that's a big big pilgrimage and there are a lot of people come from all over the world to do St Cuthbert's walk
0: that's Um, that you've echoed exactly what some of the pilgrims that used to stay in the B&B mm. would say to me yeah. that the environment yeah. here is what makes it, it as authentic as possible. Yeah.
1: And often within a pilgrimage, obviously once you get to the end, to Jerusalem or Rome or style, whatever it is, but also the journey itself, because you're experiencing what that saint did and mm. how they had to walk and they had to find lodgings and they would eat you know, they they will eat a simple meal, and yeah. you you're not you know you you've not got your mobile phone switched on all the time. You're not checking your social media. You are you're communing with your God. You're trying to find that inner yeah. Yeah. spiritual uh, element in your soul within the walk. Um, and there are there are numerous stories of people who have had real religious awakenings on a pilgrimage to this day, because it really you know their religion mm. is is. Very important to them. That spiritual element in their life is, is absolutely core to their being. Um and as a non non-religious person myself, I just find it amazing that, yeah, that yeah. people, you know, they have such faith and it's it's lovely to hear and see and and see the, the, the a real experiential element walking St. Cuthbert's way mm-hmm. and and all pilgrimages, I think.
0: You've touched on it, but what really happened on a pilgrimage? Do you have any any stories, any evidence you, you can tell me? Uh,
1: there are people who chronicled their... Uh, that's what I'm looking experience. for, yeah. They would chronicle what happened to them on the pilgrimage. And a lot of them talk as if... They, they, they feel as if they've been renewed in their faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people would often go and ask for something specific, like, I want a baby, or... I want Ah, good health, Mm -hmm. so you can ask for things like that. Mm -hmm. So you do get people who... There was a nun, a German nun one time, who who wanted to go on a pilgrimage, and she had a bad knee. And she worked out how long it would take her to walk from where she was in the German states to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And she walked that for a 100 days in her little cell, and at the end of that 100 days, miraculously, her knee was better. So you get stories like that. Ah, right, um, right. You get people who—it's it, a renewal of faith. It's <laughs> a reawakening. Um, you get a few people that go on pilgrimage and come back to their old life and realise that that's not for them, and they will join monasteries. They will join convents, like them that are. have
0: been to the moon and back. Yes, a similar thing. It
1: has—it has literally changed them. They cannot—they cannot come back. They are so changed that they cannot settle into an old life. Anymore.
0: Okay, and I have one final question because pardon my ignorance again. Was the pilgrimage in in ancient times, was it a group activity or something best done alone?
1: Oh well now Because you talked about the tourism industry not done (laughs) alone because if you are a lone traveller, you're gonna get attacked, you're gonna get robbed, you're gonna get beaten up, you're not gonna know where to go Mm -hmm. for a start. Um, you're in danger of being attacked or beaten up or robbed because the chances are you're relatively wealthy as a pilgrim and even yeah. if you're not, you're carrying a year's worth of money to pay for lodgings and you don't know where to go. And if you pitch up and you're not on an official tour, you might not even get in anywhere. Yeah. So you're always better to go in a group unless you're extremely wealthy and you can go and bring your own entourage with yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah. you're better to to go in a group and you would you would meet up with other pilgrims along the way. Okay.
0: Okay. It, it seems like a, a, a better um, experience in a group, yes, in, a, in a sense, yeah, pre yeah, Thomas Cook. Yeah. I have been amazed in, in, over the last few years when I've been running um, hotel intensives for German speaking students down near St. Albans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'd do a day trip
1: yeah,
0: and we would visit the shrine of St. yeah, the earliest Christian martyr in England.
1: I think so. Yes, certainly the claim, but I I think he is the earliest. Mm -hmm. Yes, Yes. he, the
0: the local guy who swapped clothes with the man fleeing the church, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and was later killed for his sin. Yeah, Um, and I have been amazed the number of pilgrims who have been around the shrine of the martyr. Yeah. Uh, large groups sometimes. Yeah. 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 And I mean,
1: of course, that's because there are relics there and that's something yeah. else With because you get to the situation where you have unscrupulous people stealing relics. Uh-huh. And, you know, I mean, I, I think somebody once calculated that if all of the sites where there's a relic of St Andrew's actually existed, he would have to have had four arms and ten legs or something <laughs> like this. But you do get people pinching relics and making up relics. And, you know, of course... You're never going to admit that you've stolen the relic, but you're also never going to admit that your relic has been stolen. So, you know, you can go to several places in Europe and see the head of St Anne or the head of St John. So, yeah, relic relic stealing, because, again, it was money-making for the church. Mm. Whichever church had the relics of whoever um, made a lot of money because you're not going to go to a church that hasn't got a relic when the one further down the road does. And that's the church you're going to go to. That's the church you're going to give your money to because that's the church that's got the relic of whichever yeah. saint. So, yes, um, relic pinching became quite a <clears throat> quite a problem.
0: Like yourself, I'm not a particularly religious person, but, you know, the Thistle Chapel in Greyfriars in mm-hmm, Edinburgh, yeah. that's now under Lock and Key. It used to be uh, a place you could just walk in and out of. And that's because people have been stealing you know, tourists have been stealing uh, relics from that chapel.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. People, it, people it, will will pinch anything. They they literally will pinch yeah, stuff. Yeah. Going back to King Arthur that we st- spoke about in the beginning, he is supposed to have stolen a piece of the True Cross from Cappadocia and brought yeah, it back to Stowe. Yeah, yeah, You know, and you're thinking, really, you know, people were literally snipping bits off. I mean, the reason why the the shroud of Turin is kept under lock and key is people keep snipping bits off with scissors. Yeah. And and it's not that they're being nasty and stealing for gain, although I was saying that, you know, obviously a, a church with relics gets more money than a church without. It's because they genuinely want to touch something that has belonged to a saint because it's still just got that bit of grace. It can be as an intercessor between you and God. God's grace yeah. can be manifest in a physical item. Mm-hmm. And so they're not stealing... Yes, they are stealing because the church will get money, but because they've got that thing, they have got God's grace. It's not theft in the way I would think of it as theft. To a religious person, it's not. It's that you have the material proof of God's grace. And that's core to your belief. And so that's why stealing something is acceptable.
0: Brilliant, Mary. You have just made a very convincing argument for the Scottish football fans who ripped up Wembley and, <laughs> and, oh, he, took, I, and took the turf back to Scotland. How did
1: you manage to get football in and I not really get happen.
0: football into our podcast. Exactly, but,
1: but you managed at that time.
0: You did it well. You set that up perfectly for me. <laughs> um, before we finish, let's go with more detail on the Crusades next yeah, time around. I think day that day would be an interesting yeah. idea. yeah. And finally, before we finish, can I just remind our listeners that while this podcast is free to listen to, it is not entirely free to make. Cassie has to be fed, various other things have to be done. So, any support you can give us would be very welcome. Thank you very much.
1: That's great. Thanks, Doug. Speech again soon. Bye.
0: Bye for now, Mary.